Welcome, everyone, to the Meaningful Hearts Podcast, where we discuss the everyday questions that make us or break us if we let them. With your hosts, Drew and Daniela, take our hands and let's walk this journey together. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Meaningful Hearts podcast with Daniela and Drew. And today we're going to go back to that fun segment called Questions to a Therapist, where I put Daniela in the hot seat a little bit and we talk about fun questions that therapists can answer only because they're the professionals and we're not. Well, I think you could answer these questions for yourself. Just saying. Yeah, but it's so much better when you, is that a word? So much better? Is that proper? Yes. So much better when you ask a professional and you get that professional opinion and then you realize for a moment, hey, that's the same answer I would have had. So that makes me kind of a professional. <laughs> right. And I could pat myself on the back and I could say, well. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. right. Are you ready for the question? I am Which ready. Will piggyback on a series of questions. It'll be like monkeys in a barrel. Pull one out, and then there's like three or four attached. Sure. <laughs> I would say that I'm ready for the first one. I don't know about the other ones that might okay. come after that. All right. So, I wanted to talk about habits, not the good habits, because we all have good habits. Gee, but for those <laughs> some unfortunate ones that have bad habits, habits that really we want to change but we don't know how to start. How would, how would you go about that? Hey, I'm a client of yours. And the issue that I have is I want to, I want to do better. I'm, I'm down on myself. I feel, but I feel down. And in reality, I want to, I want to make this change. I want to make a change and I want to stop eating sweets because sweets just, they don't give me good energy. I feel tired. My, it bothers my stomach, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm crashing during the day. It's something I can grab and I can eat and I really enjoy. And it, it does give me some joy, but overall the benefit, there's no benefit past that moment of in, like eating it. So what do I do? Like, how do I go about that? Cause it's, I feel like I make a promise to myself and I always go back. I always go back and I feel so bad, but when I feel bad, I want to do it more. Does that make sense? Yes. And then it becomes a cycle. The more yes. that you engage in the behavior, the more that you end up doing the behavior. So I had three things that I was writing down <laughs> to share. And the third one is slipping my, my mind. But I'll start with the first one. So the first thing that I would consider doing is exploring when the behavior is happening, it's kind of like starting to track it, right? Um, when When is it happening? At what time of the day? And then I would further go on from there, depending on what that is, into the relationship, like if you're you're specific with the snack, right? The relationship that you have with food as a whole because it is about the relationship that we have. 
So that's one of the things that I would do. I actually thought of the third thing. So, of course, nice. <laughs> the second thing is breaking it down into the most manageable thing possible. It's about taking action, but what action steps are you willing to start? So like, okay, for example, it's what's snacking, right? Um, can the smallest step be for you to, okay, if you pick up a granola bar, can you write down what's within the granola bar that's good for you versus what's bad for you and start there? I would probably teach smart goals um, because smart goals, unfortunately, we weren't taught them in school or if our parents like didn't know, we didn't, we didn't know. So that's very unfortunate, but smart goals are very, 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 very helpful. Um, so I would do that as well. I would keep that in mind. And then the third thing, this would require, I guess, open-minded thinking and the best way that I can describe how I would do it is through an example. So say for example, uh, you get into a car accident, right? Knock on wood that you get into a car accident. Um, I just knocked on wood. I, I had to do that. <laughs> so say Knock for example, <laughs> yeah, Drew, you get into an accident, right? The next time that you go into getting, that you go get, you can't English. The next time that you go to get in your car, you become really anxious. And so you choose to not get in the car. Now, as you continue to engage in this behavior and you become more anxious, it's going to prevent you from being able to drive. And what most people do is they try to fight through the anxiety. They try to fight and then they become self-critical. This is impeding my ability to drive, et cetera, et cetera. But what I would do is I would try to explore the positive intention behind the anxiety. Because right now you're meeting the anxiety with resistance. You're trying to fight through it. You're trying to power through it. But what if we take a moment to take, to look at anxiety as having positive intention? Because I, if I were to ask you, okay, so ultimately, what is the anxiety trying to do for you? Anxiety is trying to keep you safe. Yes, exactly. And so when we look at the positive intention of the behavior, as opposed to the behavior is causing us trouble, we can then choose to say, oh, thank you for keeping me safe, for trying to keep me safe. But I think that I got this right now. And if I need you, I will call upon you. And so how that relates to the snacking is I would ask, can we understand the positive intention behind you trying to snack? Like, what are you trying to fulfill as opposed to the way that it actually makes you feel? Um, because obviously if it's a behavior that you don't want to continue doing and it's impacting you negatively in some way. But when we look at things from a different perspective, we approach things from a different perspective. That was like an extensive answer, but those are the three things that, came to mind just off the top of my head. Okay. That was a great in-depth answer. <laughs> Are there things that you struggle with that you've applied this method to? And how do you deal with it? I mean, it is it the same for any level of habit? 
I mean, some are really extreme. Some are not, I guess. Um, some people are just trying, yeah, I'm trying to stop eating sweets, but I'm not like, I'm a diabetic or anything, or I don't have like a real ailment. But what if it's something, I guess, more serious, like something that's like really like life or death, or maybe it's to the point where I have to do this. I have to make this change. But now I feel forced, right? It's not a selective process of, oh, I should negate this out. I need to. I think that it, it that's a pretty loaded question. I don't know if I understood, <laughs> like if I got all the, because you asked a few questions, but the one that I'm hearing the most right now is what if it's something that is a must? Like I presume you mean something with health. Like if it's a must, then I think depending on the person's level of motivation, I, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is where where are they at? Where's their level of motivation? Um, does it feel like an obligation to them? Uh, are they more in their head about it? And do we need to help them get out of their head and just start to take those uncomfortable action steps? It really is circumstantial, but I think starting with where they are. I don't know if I answered your question. I'm thinking about it. That makes sense. I mean, you, I didn't give you such a, I give you more of a broad question. My, my, my question is, yes, that's true. As far as like, I guess, based on this, the severity of it. But how about if, uh, damn, I lost my train of thought. Well, I can actually answer another question that I remembered you had while you gather your train okay. of thought. Cause you asked me what I do. Like if I, if there's things that I've incorporated for myself and I've actually incorporated all three. So something that I continue to struggle with is biting my nails and like picking at them. And I'm at a point where I know what's causing the behavior and I've, and I'm trying to, um, take uncomfortable, like a small action step, but it is really hard. And so sometimes I find myself beating myself up about the fact that like, damn, here I go, I did it again. So the main thing that I've been trying to apply more of is trying to understand the positive intention behind this behavior. And for me, in a lot of ways, it is a stress relief. And now I know that I need to be kinder to myself. Something else that I've applied, one of the three that I just shared, is I know that I have to do workshops and seminars and I have to do notes and I have to do research. And yet I continue to engage in the bad behavior of procrastinating because I get so overwhelmed. And so what I did, I literally created a smart goal and said, okay, what's the smallest thing that I can do? What's one thing that I can pick that becomes manageable? And that's been helpful for me. So that was like a second answer to your question. Now, granted, it does take practice. I'm not saying that I literally have like a ripped nail from the other day right now, but that doesn't mean that I am going to stop trying. And that's where my earlier answer to to the other question that you had is figuring out where somebody else is at, understanding what is their level of motivation? How much do they 
How do they actually feel about the behavior that they engage in? Are they motivated enough to start or are they motivated to want to start, but because of their negative beliefs, they're having a lot of trouble? That's a pretty solid, solid answers. Now I have, <laughs> I have a bonus question. Sure. This one, I guess still adds a little bit of an extremity to the, the original questions, but is there any point in which you say, Hey, this person has uh, a disorder or there's something mentally there that is causing them to feel this way and it's not natural and it's something that might need further exploration or maybe psychiatry or at some sort. Like what, what buffers do you go through before you decide, Hey, listen, this, this might be more, more, not necessarily a person in their normal state, but there's something altered that's causing this like a disorder of some sort. So I don't think it was a yes or no question. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. No. Not, I'm sure there's a no. lot of interpretation here and so, a little bit of a gray, gray area, I guess. The best way that I can answer that is, I, I think what I'm hearing is at what point is it determined that there needs to be more, more, yeah. more yeah. observation, a higher level of care, whether that's psychiatry, um, other behavioral health services, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. I think the main thing that I keep in mind is how much does it impede the person's ability to function? So I'll give some examples because I'm actually uh, like recalling some. If somebody is clinically and chronically depressed, so much so that we exhaust all the potential possibilities depending on how long they've been depressed then i might make a recommendation for some type of medication management not forever but because the person is so chronically depressed um and they really have a hard time reframing and changing things for themselves and feeling good sometimes medication is helpful not again not forever but there's something that biochemically changes based on the way that we feel and if we can't do that for for ourselves sometimes medication is helpful so and that's that's one example another example is with somebody say for example who has a lot of obsessive thoughts and overthink overthinkers are or have a higher uh, predisposition to think more and experience more intrusive thoughts. And some of them can get very scary and they can get very overwhelming. And so when we're trying to do, say, for example, exposure, exposure work, because that's how you overcome the fears is exposing yourself or the thoughts, the obsessive thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. If the work, the behavioral changes are not, as effective because of the intensity of the thoughts. Sometimes medication also helps to just kind of bring them down a little bit to do the work and then be weaned off. I think weaned off is the word weaned off the medication yeah. and so that they can do it on their own because I'll use myself as an example. If all the thoughts that I'm having are making it hard for me to actually get something done, I might consider that. I don't know if that made sense. 
by that I mean medication. But right. I know I extensively answered your question again. I don't think there's like a one-off answer. No, um, there isn't. This is medicine, and this is yeah. you know there's theory in here. There's yeah. you know there's doctors have opinions. I mean yes. therapists have opinions. There's different ways to attack it. Um, but those are some really extensive, great answers. Thank uh, you. I will you. also add, as a professional, I really do try to not. Well, I think this is as a professional and as a person, I really try to stay away from the medication. Like medication is a last resort for me. Granted, I'm not ignorant if somebody, and, and I consult with other therapists, supervisors, other staff before I make such a recommendation because my genuine, like my, what is it? What is it I'm trying to say? Like, what's at the top of my list is the person's level of care. Like I have genuine concern. It's, it's, it's genuine. It's not like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to recommend medication because it, whatever the case may be like pharmaceutical and all that, that we won't get into right now. But I'm also not ignorant to when medication is helpful, but I do try to keep it as a last resort. If that might, I felt, compelled to add that in there because I wouldn't want anybody to be listening and think, well, she's just promoting medication. And that's not the case. Not that I think somebody would, but as a preventative measure. And I also wouldn't want somebody to think, oh my gosh, she's so anti-medication. Like, Correct. Right? Like it's a balance. And it, I think it's important to say that, especially nowadays. And I also think as a disclaimer for anybody listening, it's going through some really tough times. I've said this in the past. We've both said this. Seek a professional help. Speak to somebody. Do not take this as a prescription to do any of the sorts. This is more for you know listening purposes and getting ideas. But always speak to a professional. Dan Daniela is a professional. If <laughs> I am a professional. <laughs> she is a professional. <laughs> but, but I'm one of many. <laughs> yeah, don't self-diagnose yourself. Self-help yes. is that space where a lot of people self-diagnose and they go about it, you know, be reasonable with yourself. And if you're feeling alone or you're feeling like it's challenging or there's something else more going on, speak to it, speak to a professional and get the help that you need and be guided in that way. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Daniela, thank you very much for your professional input and your awesome answers. Thank you for we, asking those questions. And we all thank you for listening. We hope that you have a wonderful day night whatever time you're listening to this and we will catch you on the next on the next one <laughs> <laughs>